responsible for a different function and that function determines the overall health of your heart the next for the next four weeks we are going to be dealing with each chamber of your heart and we're talking about your spiritual heart the first one that we're going to deal with is the chamber of expectation okay okay some of you are like i'm too mature for that i haven't led anyone to christ in years but i'm too mature for that <clears throat> Can we have a family talk real quick? Okay, now I wanna say this. It is very well possible that the spirit of offense is so powerful that while I preach against offense, you can actually be offended. And, and I will tell you this, one of the greatest thieves that humanity has ever faced is the thief of offense. Offense has actually stolen more books than the publishing house. Because people anteed up to fulfill their destiny to publish a book and got a rejection and that offense caused them to cancel their entire destiny. You know, offense has actually robbed more songs than the music industry because people have anteed up to write a song or a melody and the opinion of people has caused them to never do it again. Offense is a thief. You can write that down. Offense has robbed children of a relationship with their parents. Offense has robbed people of their career as they've been in work environments that the job is right, but the people aren't right. But maybe it's that their heart wasn't right. Anyone here want to get your heart right today? The chamber of expectations today? You know, the most common phenomenon that you've all experienced in elementary school, and this doesn't matter if you were in Indiana with us, a whole bunch of hillbillies, or you were out uh, on the far east end of the island with those hillbillies. No, I'm just kidding. Is that wrong? I don't know. I'm learning. I'm still learning this region. But um, in, in grade school, we had fire drills. And let me tell you why we had fire drills. Because nobody trusts you when there's an emergency. That's why we had a fire drill. Because your instinct, when it clicks in, as you are actually going through the, the tragedy of a fire, will do the wrong thing in the context of a large group. And, you know, that was like a common phenomenon that we were going to have fire drills. Well, guess what? We live in one of the most triggered, offended countries of the world. And you know what drill nobody ever taught you for your instinct that's wrong in the context of large groups? Your offense drill. We should have had an offense drill in elementary school to teach you how to deal with this. But it's like offense you deal with every day. A fire probably never happened in elementary school and every couple months you were training for it. Am I right? So can I just tell you, you trained for some of the wrong things? It's time to train for offense. Is that all right? Is there somebody hungry to learn today? Where are my spiritual alpacas at? <laughs> some of you might be saying right now, well, I'm here in this large group setting, but I'm a loner. I don't need this information. But can I tell you, you have the whole world in your pocket if you've got a phone in your pocket. You've got a large group of social media that will derail you and rob you of your future and your life if you are stuck in a cycle of offense. So this is going to be good. Let me just give you the dictionary definition for defense or offense, and you can write this down. The dic dictionary def uh, definition of offense is an annoyance 
or a resentment brought by a perceived insult. Say perceived. Okay, think about that. Perceived insult to oneself or one's standards or principles. Can I just speak prophetically to somebody in the room right now? Because I was feeling this during worship. Some of, there's somebody in the room, maybe it's more than one, but you have not been released a measure of influence and success in your life because the chamber of expectations for your heart is damaged and you don't know how to live unoffended. And it's not your brain that's the problem, it's your heart. Because you might be intelligent enough, you may even be watching people with a greater level of intelligence consistently pass you up, but it's because they have excelled in the area of their heart. It's because the chamber of expectations is healed in their heart, and God is sovereign, and he's not stupid. There was something that Julie, I told Julie, I said, man, the content for this has just flowed, it poured out of me. And Julie said, yeah, because we have been offended so many times in life, we got that straight. And I, you know what, here's the thing. You know, you, you can't, listen, you can only impart who you are. See, I could come up here and read a book and just tell, reteach it, but impartation happens when it's who you are being delivered to somebody else. And so can I just tell you, I'm gonna impart something to you, not just teach you something, okay? See, you can have many teachers, but impartation happens when somebody's been through offense and came out on the other side. And let me tell you how to heal the chamber of expectations. And, you know, this is a huge issue because and we're gonna, there is an economy connected to offense now. Did you know that? They keep you engaged on their social media platforms longer if you can be offended. They've changed the algorithms to actually give more credence to content with more comments on it because your argument keeps you exposed to ads longer. See, the, 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 the discourse that's happening in America right now, there's a, a, an economy connected to it. Am I going too deep for you? You know what, like, like they are engineering offense in our society because it's directly connected to money. They need you to be offended by the cleverly crafted headline. They need you to be offended because you'll click it. And if you click it, you'll look at the ads. And if you look at the ads, they get paid. And you know how I know that? Because I taught journalism and have an English degree. And it's not about the writing anymore. It's about offense and your attention and the economy of offense. That's deep, okay? And so we're living in this society that literally needs you to be set off all the time. And then you come, and this is a countercultural movement, and so many, that's, that's what church and the kingdom of heaven really is. It's this culturally opposite movement where we don't live in offense because you want me to. That's my signal that it's the wrong thing. And I'll tell you this, while I was going through this message series, it became more and more apparent to me why God brought me to Long Island to plant a church. You have to have an unoffendable heart to be a pastor on this island. You know, they, there's this statement, you could write this down. If you're two steps ahead of people, you're the leader. But if you're 10 steps ahead of them, you're their martyr. And you know, just because you weren't raised in a church that looked like this doesn't mean that you know anything about the Bible or anything about what we're doing. Did I just preach too hard? It got real quiet. And you know, it's, it's funny because I don't live in response to their opinions. I live in response to the voice of my heavenly father. 
And had I not learned that lesson in the wilderness season of my life, when I wasn't on a microphone, when I wasn't in ministry, I would have got to Long Island and been wrecked and destroyed by everyone's opinion of what V1 Church is, what it should be. I mean, people have lunch. They've never lived one day of their life as a lead pastor, but they are an expert on lead pastoring. They had never sung a song in front of more than their drunk friends at the karaoke, but they are an expert on worship leading. And that's the society we live in. We're all experts. And see, if you don't have an unoffendable heart, your destiny is impossible to obtain in this era. It's impossible. It's going to be a good one. Anyone feel it? All right, let me give you some more examples of offense. That was in my court. That's the stuff I would be offended out, but I don't care. That's a powerful spiritual statement right there. I don't cur, right? That'll deliver you. That'll set you free. Oh, I think they should do this. I don't cur. Julie and I have been in the background learning our lessons for years and years before you ever showed up. Do we care about your opinion? Yeah, kind of, sort of. But you know who's we care about more? Jesus. And I'm telling you, some of you guys are living triggered. You're living offended. And you can't move on to the next stage of your life until you get free. Two more quick examples. And you, we love Ukraine. You know, in Ukraine, you're not, you're not actually sending the romantic or get well message you think if you send somebody an even number of flowers. You, because even number of flowers are actually reserved for a bouquet that you would send for funeral arrangements. So it's a weird way to offend somebody. Do we have any waiters or waitresses in the house? Okay, maybe a few. Now in America, if you don't tip a waiter or waitress, you will offend not only them, but you'll offend the people eating with you, right? But in Japan and South Korea, if you tip, you will actually offend them. And oftentimes they'll come track you down and hand your money back. Did you know that? And so cultural offense is a very weird thing. And we've got to be wise as we navigate it. You know, we even use this, uh, this statement, and, and it's funny for people, English is a second language, right? Dios es bueno, right? Espíritu Santo es fuego. Should I do the whole thing in Spanish? I'm just kidding. Um, but, but we say this thing, we say no offense, but. Some of the most painful statements that I've ever heard in my life have come after that statement, no offense. No offense for us is like this little pill we want people to ingest to circumvent the toxicity of what we're about to say. No offense, but, now this is the one I recently heard, okay? No offense, but you've gotten really fat. Oh, oh, stop, stop, I was just joking, right? So we're constantly living in this, this offended, I'm doing something about it. I got my organic carrots upstairs in a bag, I'm ready. Can I give you three biblical definitions for offense? We're going to set a foundation for the chamber of expectations of your heart. So number one, and you can write this down, offense is the belief, and I have in parentheses false, offense is the false belief that holding a grudge helps you and enacts revenge on the offender. Now, you're probably thinking in your mind, that's not deep, Pastor Mike. I'm going to read it again. Offense is the false belief that holding a grudge helps you and actually enacts revenge on the offender. And you're probably thinking like, duh. No, actually, when you are offended, the deep root of that is you think that as long as I hold on to this offense, this grudge is actually going to enact revenge. Some of us, we're like, I'm going to make them pay. I'm not going to text them back. I'm going to let them text me over and over again. And I got read receipts on. 
And I'm going to let them see those read receipts, those righteous read receipts, until they understand that I am offended and that I'm going to revenge them by not giving them the pleasure of my company. <laughs> right? This is what did the Bible say about it? In John chapter, let me back up, let me back up. It says this in Leviticus. You guys know a part of the scripture, many Christians do. We know this part. This is the Hallmark card part that you all know. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I put it in context for the biblical scholars? Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's a little bit harder when it's in context, am I right? Do not seek revenge, you Long Island living Tommy gun packing Italian, or bear a grudge against your mom who told you that thing at Christmas that you didn't want to hear because you don't care what she thinks about the person that you're married to. Can I just keep reading the Bible in context? Do not seek revenge. What did do not? Somebody say do not. What's do not mean? Come on. To Everly, it doesn't. To my four-year-old daughter, it doesn't. And to us, it doesn't mean do not either. Come on now. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. Second definition is this, offense. Now listen, this is the biblical definition. Are you guys with me? Are you with me? Offense is the surprise brought on by the expectancy that people will not hurt you but you don't understand. I found this place. Oh my gosh, guys, listen, I'm on Facebook live now. Are you with me? Uh, I found this place. They love me. This church is perfect. Soon as you've said that the countdown to your offense here has begun, right? But Evan looks so nice, but he yelled at me at church. Pastor Mike, he didn't have time for me. I mean, there's 300 of us and one of him, but my life is paramount. Can't he see how wounded I am? I'm more wounded than all you wounded people. I bleed more than you, right? Offense, offense, living offended. And we're stuck in this cycle and it's the surprise brought on by the expectancy, this chamber of expectations that people will not hurt you. Let me tell you this. Let's talk about expectancy. I marry people. You know, that's part of what a pastor does. And when they're doing their vows, you know what they say? They say for better or for worse, but you know what they often mean? For better. They say in sickness and in health, you know what they often mean? In health, because I want to, you know, it's going to be the wedding night, so in health. When they say till death do us part, you know what, what what they mean? You see where I'm going? It's the chamber of expectation it's the, and that needs to be resolved because offense is coming. It's coming by your closest peers, by the people you do business with, by the people who said, I'm your homie, ride or die, I jumped you in this thing, we'll be in it together. Offense is coming. If you don't have an unoffendable heart, you don't have a successful future. It's that simple. It's that simple. You know why? Because you will get a version of success but you'll hate your life because you will not be fulfilled by relationships that you're constantly living in a grudge against. The Bible says that God will increase your riches but add no sorrow. So you can get more riches, but if you don't have an unoffendable heart, your sorrow is gonna increase too. That's truth. It's real talk. 
All right, so Jesus, and I want to read this to you, said something in the red letters, John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to Long Island. You do not belong to Queens. You do not belong to Brooklyn. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This is what Jesus said, how he loves me. You know why we got to sing he loves me? Because they hate you. Yes, he loves me. We have to say that. Because you will be hated for preaching the true message of Jesus Christ. Some of you have experienced that since joining this church. Because they don't get it. Right? Let me keep reading. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. Say they will. They will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Stop trying to give a Christian standard to somebody who's not a Christian. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours too. You want me to tell you why your family doesn't listen to you? Because they don't listen to Jesus. If you're telling them Jesus' standard, but they don't know Jesus, they're not going to receive it. That's why when I look at somebody who says, I'm living crazy right now, Pastor Mike. I'm telling you right now, I'm living crazy. I can't get through this sin, whatever. You know what I tell them? Here's some gaff tape and a mission. Because first we recruit, then we rebuke. See, some of you, that went over your head, but that's all right. We want to rebuke people and correct their lives before we recruit them for a mission and give them a destiny. And we don't understand why we're living in offense and they're living in offense. It's a good word. Somebody's getting it today. That's a good. Yes, it is. We want to recruit after you clean your life up, after you get it all together. We're so offended that people on our team are still sinning because we sinned three weeks ago, but they just sinned yesterday. You know what I'm saying? That'll preach right now. That's why Jesus looked at Peter, a blue collar fisherman, a dull axe, if you will and said, come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. As a matter of fact, I'm going to build this entire thing off of you because a dull axe that swings in the same location will bring a tree down before a sharp axe that quits too soon. And he said, you know what, Peter? You might not know scripture. You might not even know me, but you know consistency. And that consistency is going to cause you to do the impossible. Some of you in this place need to hear that message. Maybe you're listening to the podcast right now. It's just like a gravity to this thing because on the other side of the unoffendable heart, we're going to release several hundred people from this church who are going to be able to sustain the mission of God on their life because people's opinion are not going to rock them off their foundation. They're going to know who they are. Come on. The third one is this. Offense is the stethoscope for identity disease of the heart. Offense is the stethoscope for identity disease of the heart. We got a lot of men walking around puffed up, flared up, full of pride and arrogance. It stinks to God. I hate it when I see it. The reason why I'm a servant-based leader is because Jesus hates pride. But whenever you see a guy walking around like this, it's an indicator that there's something in his identity that's fragmented and missing and he's compensating for it. And when you say lift your hands to God, 
It's like, no, I'm the God. I can't lift my hands to myself. I'll keep them down. But God begins to go in and he gives us the stethoscope to actually hear the disease of our own heart. I'm gonna tell you a story about how God let me hear some disease in my own heart last week. So don't, don't think the train has missed the, the Signorelli home stop because it pulled up and it was loud and it did some wrecking. But number three, offense is the stethoscope for identity disease of the heart. Romans chapter 15, verse seven says this accept one another. Can we all say that together? Accept one another. Let's try it again. Accept one another. But doesn't it say really small? Accept the ones that look like you. Accept the ones that say the same thing you say all the time. Isn't that cool? Huh? Accept the person who agrees with you theologically. Accept the person who likes the same worship music you do, same style. Check this Spotify out, bro. Romans 15, 7. What does it say? Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. And you know how Christ accepted you? Broken, lost, messed up, drug addicted, adulterous. That's how he, he, you were a liar when God came to you. You were messed up when God came to you. He loved you before you had it all together. And thank God he continues to love you while you figure it out. Because I'm still figuring it out in front of you. And if you come to submit to this local church and you want to call me your lead pastor, you are just giving me permission to fail in front of you. That's the definition of submission to authority is giving your leader permission to fail in front of you. And if you don't believe that, you're living offended because your definition of leadership is I'll submit to a perfect person. And as soon as they reveal their humanity, you don't give them the ability to be human just like you gave yourself to be human when you didn't want to go to the gym earlier that day. Man, it's going off. I hear fireworks going off. The angels are going buck wild right now. It's silent in here. But they are like, get up, Pastor Mike. There's too much on the line. There's too many people dying in this region for you to live offended. <laughs> Offense. You know what? When you ask most people, why did you go to that church? Why did you choose to be surrendered and submitted to that house? You know what they tell you? I've been in the game for a while. I don't look old because God's glory is all. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I'm trying, man. But you know what? Most people have told me over the years, whether whatever church I served as a pastor, they say, God told me to go there. And then when they leave, you know what they tell me? God told them that too. But it's really convenient that God rarely tells you to do the thing you don't want to do. And so when you're living offended, it will rob you of being submitted to the place that you should be. Everyone say the ego. The ego you know, I'm talking about the chamber of expectations and our, our vulnerability to offense seems to point to a fundamental universal insecurity that's in everyone. Universal insecurity, it's the ego. Most of us feel this sense of separateness, this sense of isolation, this sense of loneliness. Some of you, you come to church and you actually feel alone in a crowd. It's your ego that feels that loneliness. 
And in response to this, our ego constantly needs affirmation. It constantly needs to be comforted and soothed and reminded. This is why we have Mickey hands and front door greeters. And we train a church to be outward focused, to tap you on your shoulder, to take a selfie with you because your ego is so fragile. If you don't know who you are and whose you are, that you will literally feel alone and lonely at the same time. Because it is possible if you know who you are and whose you are to be alone and not be lonely. It's possible. And most of the acts of aggression that we've encountered in our lives are actually the result of a threat to somebody's identity. It's so important. You know, as a child, you're sort of like a collection of these different desires and different biological responses. And you, you really go on a journey to gain control over that, right? This is why even though Everly screams in public and Bella never did it, and I swore I was the best parent ever until I had Everly. There's grace for Everly because the understanding is she's on a journey to gain control over a biological response that she hasn't mastered yet. But what happens when adults go buck wild? They need a pastor Mike. <laughs> they need V1 Church. They need the house of God. They need scripture. And we go on this journey because we feel so fragmented and at different points of our life, it can happen again where we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. You know, I was recently driving through Manhattan with my wife and two kids. And I love hanging out in Manhattan. It's cool. And we're driving and I see this big building and it's ornate and it's lit up with all these colors. And I'm stopped at a long red light. So I think to myself, my phone's mounted for a GPS. All I got to do is click over and just get to the, the phone, you know, the, the camera app. And then I can take a picture of this huge thing and post it on Instagram because it's cool. Well, in the middle of like taking the picture, the light goes from red to green. So all of a sudden I start to accelerate. Now my male brain, right? This is, this, this is how, you know, anyone else here like a NASCAR driver in disguise? Any other men here? Like in your mind, it's always a competition on the road. You're always winning the trophy. I think to myself, I could probably, this is a real thought, okay? You're getting in my head. I could probably take this picture and still accelerate with the rest of traffic. Now that action triggers my wife's brain. Now she's got this ultra evolved female brain. It has evolved at 2.5 times the speed of the male brain. Can I get an amen? Women, I have seen this to be true, guys. I've got a lot of data. We're dumb, okay? And all of a sudden, we're, I'm accelerating Julie's brain, the ultra-evolved, it's genetically engineered for safety and nurture, begins to scream out, Mike, what are you doing on your phone? We don't do that. Stop. You're going to kill us, right? Which, unbeknownst to her, was probably going to engineer the car wreck more than me taking the picture, right? But what happened in that moment was that I went back and I was like, does she think that I am not capable of doing this illegal action of taking a picture while I'm driving? This is the foolishness of offense. Offense never makes sense. Offense will always make you a fool by God's standard. And now I'm the marriage counselor, so I teach people how to successfully navigate these types of situations and found my leg in a trap. Because all of a sudden, Julie says she took it a step further. And you know, it's always, you know, you always play it like you're cool. Like, I'm not, ex I'm not really the Incredible Hulk. But then they take it one step further and you reveal, yes, I am. 
My secret is I'm always angry. <laughs> Am I right? So Julie says one, so it was cool. Then she said, I don't want you to hit that building. Now, we're in Manhattan. These are big buildings. These are not barns, okay? And my brain registered that offense. It translated. This is the male and female translation. When she said, don't, and don't hit that building, I'm, I thought to myself, what she actually said is, you are so mentally incapable of driving this car that you are completely incompetent and probably cannot even serve our family as the head of the home. I promise you that's what I heard. And I was like, what? I've always provided for you. And she's like, what? And I'm like, when have I ever failed us? I'm not gonna wreck this car, right? And Julie's like, oh, Jesus, please, Lord God, help me. Mike's losing it. And I just thought it was so absurd that she would think I would hit this huge monolithic structure made of steel and in front of me. Like, there is no way I'm that dumb. I know I'm dumb. And it offended me. But as I begin to study this, now, mind you, there was not even a good ending to that story. We literally just argued, okay? Am I right? I repented six times before I preached this sermon so I could stand before you clean, okay? <laughs> and we are the marriage counselors. And I was upset, but you know what happened? As I was dealing with God about the chamber of expectations, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and he said, Mike, you're under a lot of pressure. Maybe you're a little insecure because things have been moving so fast and there's so much happening around you and you're trying your best to serve all these people V1. You're trying your best to map out a future. You've been bold, son. You've been bold, you moved across country, you're coming up on your one year, you did the best job you could. And maybe in that moment, Julie's words just hit a bruised ego, a fragile ego, an insecure ego. And see what the work of the Holy Spirit is always gonna be in our lives is to speak directly to the epicenter of pain. When he speaks to that epicenter of pain, all of a sudden the animal turns back into a man. You can be what God's called you to be because he said, I know your true identity. I knew that you weren't capable of doing what I called you to do when I had you move across country. I know the limitations of your mind. I know your IQ test. I've numbered the hairs on your head. I, I know everything about you. So I'm speaking to the very essence of you, the true you. And I'm saying bruised ego, fragile ego, let me do the impossible. You do your thing. You be consistent, son. You, you saddle up and you be the best husband you could be, but then you let me do what only I can do. I received healing in that moment. God began to expand the borders of what was possible for me as he healed because I had this stethoscope and that stethoscope let me hear a diseased part of my heart in the area of expectation. God wants to do the same for you. Many of you know this common story that's told in churches across America of a adulterous woman who had been led by the hand of the same leaders that probably should have affirmed her identity and told her the truth about what God wanted for her out into the public square. And now they were getting ready to murder her for a different sin than theirs. See, any, any time that you 
pick up a stone to murder somebody else with her words. You're always just going to be murdering them for a different sin than your own. And all the Pharisees said, amen. Kill the Pharisee in me, God. Because anytime I go to throw a stone at V1 Church, the leadership, the worship team, the dream team, my spouse, my husband, my wife, my employer, my person that I'm doing business with, I've got to stone them for a sin differently than mine. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago is what he wants to do right now is he shows up on the scene, he draws a line in the sand, and he says there's only one that's ever going to be perfect. It's not going to be the pastor. It's me. I'm standing before you, the sacrificial, perfect lamb of God. Cross this line if you don't have any sin in your life. And he caused them to look inward at their own hurt and their own pain. And I'm sweating right now because I'm preaching. But I didn't break a sweat when I told my wife I'm sorry. Because the Lord changed the chamber of expectation in my heart. Some of the most hurtful things that were ever said to you in your life could be used as a stethoscope to hear the bruised, broken parts of your identity so God can reveal to you who you are and whose you are. In that moment as that adulterer, she was probably shaking with every fiber of her being. She knew she was guilty. She knew she committed the sin. She knew that she should have never crossed that, that proverbial line, that moral line. She knew that she was wrong, and she's probably scared for two reasons. One, it's going to hurt when those stones hit, but then two, she didn't probably think that God was going to receive her with open arms on the other side of her death. And the very God from the other side stepped through the veil of time and space and was standing in front of her right there and said, you don't have to wait to die to meet me. I'm here right now and I'm here to tell you who you are and whose you are. You are mine. And though the world may hate you, I love you. Oh, how he loves me. I believe it was that adulterous woman who was the very first time. It probably wasn't John Mark McMillan who sang that song for the first time. It was probably that adulterous woman who as they threw their their rocks down to the ground began to cry out, oh, he loves me. And because he loves me, I can face tomorrow. And if you're here and you don't know who you are and whose you are, you don't have to wait to die to meet your God. He's here right now through the Holy Spirit telling you, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Your bruised ego, your insecurities about life, the failures of your past. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. When we come to Jesus, we give him the funk, the mess, the mire. Let him do what he can do. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.